Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, March 26th, we are studying Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Jesus tells another parable to illustrate his coming on the last day. He compares the kingdom of heaven to a master who leaves, but before he leaves, he entrusts his property to his servants. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Mark Bars. Pastor Bars serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you. Good morning, Pastor Apple. As we get started today, Pastor Bars, let's let's talk a little bit of context. We're we're here in Matthew 25. This is not the first parable we've we've had here in Matthew chapter 25. What's Jesus doing here in the context? When we read the Gospel of Matthew, we find this longer section of what happens and what is said and done on during Holy Week. Back in chapter 21 was the entrance into Jerusalem, and then Jesus is moving forth and back and back and forth uh, into Jerusalem, back out to Bethany, into Jerusalem, conversations in the temple, really the temple courts. And yet, at this point, there has been another transition, both in, both in locale, in that Jesus is now uh, retreated to the Mount of Olives, but perhaps, perhaps even more important is that he has retreated just with his disciples. Back in chapter 24, verse 3, he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, and then there are questions. And so this section of Matthew 25 is a continuation of, well, for those who have a red letter Bible, there's a lot of red letters here. There is a a long, long section of what Jesus is saying to the disciples, but now specifically to the 12, as Palm Sunday has happened, the entrance into Jerusalem, the hosannas, uh, the shouts, save us now, and very soon the upper room, uh, the garden, the arrest, betrayal, all that is ahead for our Lord and for his disciples. So it, we're, we're in Holy Week, which is a good reminder. Sometimes in these, in these long red sections, these discourses of mm-hmm. Jesus, this being the fifth, it is helpful to remember that, that this is all taking place at a certain time. What, why is it important to keep that Holy Week context as we hear Jesus talking about, especially today, the end times? Well, one of the reasons I think it's important is because this is a prelude to words that only the Gospel of John will record, not too much later on, when John has that extended extended narrative in the upper room. And where I am going, Jesus will say, I am going there to prepare a place for you, John 14. And then Thomas, the question that that provides the opportune time for Jesus to speak such strong gospel words. But Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Well, Jesus has spoken uh, not only this parable, but he's spoken the parable of the, of the ten maidens, of the ten virgins, of the bridesmaids. He's spoken about when the Son of Man returns in all his glory with a, the narrative, the section that follows, follows these verses. There's, in the middle of all of this, Jesus is, has been teaching the disciples, and, and yet, as we know so well, uh, it doesn't all fit together for them. It doesn't all, it doesn't all make sense. I, I find it uh, somewhat amazing and perhaps a little bit amusing that even at his ascension, interestingly, back on the Mount of Olives, they say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel in Acts chapter 1? And it's almost as though they've, they've forgotten so much of, of what he has taught them. But he has a reason for teaching them this. He wants the disciples to know about a master and a master who has servants, about a master who will go away on a journey but will return. And 
there he tells this this parable, the parable of the talents, maybe the parable of two kinds of servants, maybe the parable of a master and his servants as as he prepares them for his journey, for his going away. I'm going to come back to the title in, in a moment. First, let's talk just a little bit about parables in general, because you know, we've seen Jesus use them throughout his ministry, particularly in, in Matthew's Gospel. There, there's a, a large discourse, again, of a series of parables. They've been scattered throughout, and here we're, again, encountering a couple of, of parables right in a row. What's, what's the significance of Jesus' teaching in parables? Well, I would, I would first of all emphasize that it's part of his his office of prophet. We, we sometimes describe Jesus as holding the offices of prophet, priest, and king. And uh, misunderstood very often is that a prophet is someone who predicts the future, or that's what people assume it means. But a prophet is one who takes and applies the Word of God to a particular situation. Jesus is being the prophet in speaking this Word of God to his disciples. He's instructing and he's revealing something about who he is and what his mission is. He is the teacher of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And that certainly for Matthew, the kingdom of God, the reign of God uh, is, is such a strong theme throughout. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. The reign of God is near. It is, it is right here. And so when Jesus uses a parable, He's using a descriptive story, and he's telling us about something that happens when God is busy reestablishing himself as king among and over people. Now, I have to put a footnote right there, Pastor Apple, in that I borrowed language, uh, not completely verbatim, but very close, from uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Charlemagne, one of my professors at the seminary, back in the late 1970s and the early 1980s, who uh, wrote a wonderful little book called Proclaiming the Parables, and very, very helpful to, to grasp what Jesus is doing, that he's always saying something about the kingdom of God. And, and in our text today, it, it's very interesting because he only says that with one little word, it, when he says, for it will be like. Well, what's the it? Well, the it is the kingdom of God. So when the disciples hear this, or when the first readers of Matthew heard this, or when the church today hears this, we are, we are still given insight into what is happening when the kingdom of God is being revealed and reestablished and challenged in this way, always with, who is this Jesus? What is he about? What is he, what is he done? What is he giving who is, who is this master who entrusts his servants with his property? There's, there's a lot of richness in not a, not a great long story, although it is Matthew's longest parable, I could note that, and yet, and yet so much there to tell us about what Jesus has done, is doing, will do towards the consummation of his kingdom when he comes back, when, he, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. That description of, of the parables is very helpful to keep our focus on, on what Jesus would have us focus on, that these are, are parables. For example, this one is not trying to tell us something about good business practices. This is, this is something right. that is teaching us what God is doing as king and how he is reigning through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so that, that's, a, that's a key thing that we need to keep in mind with the parables and recognizing, as you said in verse 14, that the it is the kingdom of God will be helpful. One, one more thing before we go ahead and read the text, just as a way of, of summary and, and thinking about this parable with the matter of title. It's often titled the parable of the talents. And, and given our conversation that we've just been having about the kingdom of God and that being central to the parables, uh, maybe maybe that title, while not wrong by any means, it's it's just a summary. But but maybe that one doesn't point out to us the main features as well as it could. Sure, I I'll I'll suggest again uh, the parable of two kinds of kingdom servants, and and how how they are. Even though there's three servants mentioned, they're really just in two categories. Uh, the first and the second servants are the same. The third servant is different. 
two kinds of kingdom servants, uh, a master, a master and his and his servants. Uh, there's there's so much insight as to what our Lord is giving to his disciples directly, because again, he's speaking only to the 12. This is not one of those Sermon on the Mount stories where, where many people are hearing him, but to the disciples privately, teaching them, instructing them, encouraging them, this is what you are called to be, servants of the master, and I am that master in the kingdom. Let's go ahead and take a look at the text then. We're in Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 14. This is Jesus speaking. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant! You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he who and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's the text for today, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. So, Pastor Bars, in the, in the notes that you sent me, I'm just going to go with what you have here. You say, before the text, we want to we talk about, is this a parable about stewardship? What do you think? Well, I don't think so. I suspect that uh, many of uh, many pastors and uh, many uh, many lay people have heard this. I have myself in different settings. Let's let's talk about being faithful stewards of God's gifts. Well, there is a stewardship, and properly understood, even in, that word is is not in the text. Let's let's make sure we say that. But but a steward is a, is one who cares for something that doesn't belong to him. Well, the first two servants do. They are entrusted with property that is not their own possession. So in that case, we could say, well, sure, there's some stewardship. My concern, Pastor Apple, is that is that by by focusing on how well do you care for time, treasure, talent? <laughs> talent, which we use in a very different way than a, than a weight measure of money, as it was here in, here in this text, but that we, we, lose, we lose the kingdom emphasis of, of our Lord uh, going away for a time, but his reestablishing his kingdom. We lose, we lose the emphasis of the identity and the calling of these servants to be not not just to be re, be rewarded by being called good and faithful servants, but by being servants or slaves of the master. That is who we are, and that is a gift of God's rich grace as He works as He works faith into our hearts. Just as we would be, I hope I hope nobody thinks that when Jesus tells the parable of the sower and the seed that He's telling us what kind of farmers to be. He's He's instructing His church to use and, and proclaim and, and sow the word and and even to do so even to do so not being 
able to control the results, the, the sower and the seed. Well, here there, are, here there are stewards who are given and faithfully use and receive his gifts that others might know of the kingdom of God. And, and we might as well cut to the chase a little bit here and say, well, then, then what, are, what are the gifts? Well, we Lutherans love to say these things, and, and aptly so, that the salvific gifts of God in Christ and his gifts to the church, the word that is proclaimed, the sacraments that are received, the faith that is spirit-breathed that we confess, and, and the mercy that we share as servants of Christ. That leads us well into the next, the final portion of Matthew 25, as those who, who, served, who served others and, and did so, and as they did so, they were serving, serving our Lord, not, for his, not to seek his reward, but simply because this is what the mercy of God in our hearts and in our lives does. So, and you've started to do this all already with the, just the term talent and what it means for us today, usually, and what it would have meant then. But just help us, take us into the world of this parable, because there are maybe a few things like that word talent that are, are hard for us to grasp. What Just, just kind of take us into the world of the parable, the story that Jesus tells with these masters and servants. Well, the man is unnamed. It's clear when we read this in, in all of its context that, that Jesus is perhaps as much as in any parable speaking in in the first person and that he is describing himself. In other parables, it might be describing God more broadly or a, a merciful, compassionate father. But but the talent is is a weight measure. It is it is money. Um, it is uh, in in the text. It's interesting that twice it says he when it speaks of the uh, the third servant that he hid his master's silver money. So there was a there was a silver talent and a gold talent, and they they weigh different, of course. But but here here to convert it to any kind of any kind of modern language is that one talent would equal six thousand denarii. And that a single denarius is a day's wage. Well, how many days' wages are we talking about? Well, six thousand is maybe twenty years of wages, and that's only one talent. If if you think of the first servant given five talents, he's given to manage what still belongs to the master, to to hold it in in care and as steward in that way. But that's 100 years of wages. I mean, the, the amount of money that this is, is boggles the mind. It, it does take us back a little bit to another parable that Jesus told in Matthew, where the parable of the unmerciful servant, where he owes a debt of 10,000 talents, which, I mean, millions or billions, what could we even say? But he grabs a hold of a fellow servant who owes him a hundred denarii. It's as though millions versus a few bucks. But this is a great amount of money. And, and that it, yet it is always the master's possession, the things that belong to him, the things of his, is always the master, it is never the servant's. Excuse me. I, I, I like the, the reference back to Matthew 18 and just the, the mind-boggling amount of money that we're talking about here. And I, I think it fits well with what you're talking about earlier in, in terms of what are these gifts, what are we talking about, that we're talking about words, sacraments, faith, mercy, the, the gifts of God, the emphasis in, in Matthew 18 was the forgiveness that is there. And so we see it. We see it here again. <laughs> Excuse me. So the the master gives to now now maybe and th this is worth i think pointing out one thing that i've always found important is that he gives different amounts to his servants but but it says to each according to his abilities is there some significance to that i think what is significant is this the master knows his servants that that's what it points out the master knows that this servant uh, is capable of being entrusted with with this amount of his property of of his possessions of his of his treasure and it doesn't it doesn't take much observation uh, in any of our lives to to look around us and see and and pastors 
are, are humbled to do this. We should be humbled to do this, to say, wow, that, that man is blessed with, with gifts that I don't have. I, I, I don't want to be envious of them. I just want to say, thank you, God, that you gave to this man such gifts. I mean, you and I look back on people that we have known. We look at professors from our seminaries and say, what a blessing this, this man has been to the church. And, and that's certainly true of, of anyone and of any, any Christian. It, different gifts does not mean that they are, they are uh, different in, in quality, but the master knows. He says, this servant gets five talents. This servant gets two talents. This servant gets a single talent. Now, what does he know about that third servant when he will speak very harsh words to him? And yet, our God always gives in mercy and in grace. And he gave to that third servant with the hope that it, that gift would be received and not, and not hidden and buried and, and not used at all. That's, that, too, is, is witness that there is gospel in this, that he, he, wants, he wants the good news to be given and shared and received and believed and multiplied. Yeah, the two excellent points that that the master knows his servants and gives according to it. I've I've likened it in the past to the to a, a picture that we see in in this life perhaps is the way a, a father would give to his children if if you've got a a child who's an excellent musician the father's going to give to that child perhaps a, a, a piano to play at home that could cost a couple thousand dollars. You've got another child at home whose whose gift is to is athletic. And so you you buy him baseball equipment and that that equipment maybe only costs five hundred dollars, right? Well, two different amounts of money, but each given because the father knew his child. And and the mm-hmm. same thing here that the the master knows his servants and gives according to how he knows them. And I think that that's going to be a really big key later when we get into the, the conversations that the master has with these servants upon returning. And then too, I, I, I love what you brought out there about the, the third servant. The master knows this, this servant and he still gives him a talent. I mean, that's, that's the mercy and grace of God that he gives in, in abundance. I, I'm remind you, I think you brought up the parable of the sower earlier in the way that the, the sower mm-hmm. scatters the seed, right? And, and here we see the graciousness of God giving his gifts to those that, that he knows may misuse them. He's, he's a gracious master. So, so the master then, then leaves and his servants go to work. What, what's the, what's the picture here? What's Jesus, what's the comparison Jesus is making in terms of the way that the, the kingdom is working? Well, it, it says it very simply in the text, uh, whether it's translated in English or in the Greek, he, he simply says that he went at once. He, he doesn't, uh, the one with the five talents in verse 16, he, he went at once and, and traded with them. He, he does what you do with, with wealth and with property. Now, now this is perhaps in, our, in the moment of our of our nation and of our world, uh, it's uncertain and it's an uncertain time for many reasons. And we don't, I, I'm not, I'm not even going to suggest that this has to do with where anybody of us should make their investments. Although I believe the church extension fund is a really good thing, but, but he went at once uh, and, and traded and it, and it simply same says in verse 17. So also he who had the two talents, he did the same thing. He saw, that when you are given a gift, you you given responsibility for a gift, you you take that responsibility and and you use it. What what exactly did it mean? Did it do? Did he, how did he trade it? How did he put it to work in the marketplace? He did it because he was a slave or a servant of the master, and he was honoring his master by using well this gift. The language for the for the third servant, it's a little bit later when the master says in verse 27, you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. Now, that's, that's interesting by way of contrast, because it seems a much more passive way to even use that, to use that talent, to use that, that, ma- that part of the master's possession. And, and it is also interesting that when he says that, when he uses the language of the bankers, he uses the word hidden in that Greek word is the word for a table. 
And wasn't it just back in chapter 21 after Palm Sunday when Jesus is in the temple courts that he overturned tables of the money changers? So interesting how these can be woven, how these can be woven together. And and yet, to, to come back to the point, that they let the wealth, the possession of their master, do what it will do, and yet, and yet it's not it's not for their own wealth. It's not for their own becoming richer and richer. It's that they honor their master in doing this. Right, yeah. So so here we're starting to see a picture of the way that the servants, in return, know their master. And again, that's that's going to become important as Jesus continues the parable, and we see the interaction between the master and servants when the master comes back. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFUO, looking at the middle of Matthew chapter 25. We're going to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Thursday, March 26th. We're looking at Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, with Pastor Mark Bars of Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Bars, prior to the break, we've, we've gone through about the first scene of the parable, where the, the master is going on a journey, he gives the servants these talents, this enormous amount of money, and then he goes away. The first two servants put the master's property to work. The last servant buries it in the ground. And then the parable picks up, skips a, a amount of time. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came, and he came to settle accounts with them, and he starts to bring them forward one by one. What, what do we see in the interaction between the master and I think we can group the first two servants together. Yes, we, we certainly could and should do so. Well, the first thing is, is, as Jesus tells this parable, reminder to the disciples alone, he, he uses language that even though they were uh, fishermen, uh, they were fishermen and whatever else they were, one was a tax collector, but he, but he says he had to settle accounts. This would have been normal language. They would have understood the master had given them responsibility for taking care of what was entrusted to them. And so he will settle accounts with them. He wants to know what has happened while he has been away after this long time. And one by one, but yes, the first two servants are really of the same category. The one with five talents says, master, you delivered me five to me, five talents. See, it's rather an abrupt, uh, word there, isn't it, in, in Greek. See, look, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, well done. I, I think I think the Greek there is even almost a little interesting. Oi, um, um, well done. Oi, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, a little. Now, now that, that I think is part of the understanding this as being a kingdom parable and not about business practices. When, when we think about a little, it was 100 years of wages that he was given over a little. Well, what, have, what was he entrusted to and what, what responsibilities and privileges was he given in the kingdom? I will set you over much. I will appoint you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Uh, the language, the language of of the wedding feast to be to be brought into the into the marriage feast uh, that began this chapter, and the language of of the the Son of Man returning in His glory and and gathering those and, and putting them at His right hand is is reflected in the middle of this parable. The man with the two talents. The words are virtually identical in that in that the, if you even count the number of words that are being used. Sometimes our English Bibles can do that. 
can do that as well. But the the servants, the slaves, say say ten words to the master, and and the master says says um, he says back to them twenty words. They say ten words. He says twenty words. He says the exact same words. If this is a question of one being better than another, which which is one of the things we must confess with our our pride within the church. I have done better with what God has given to me. No, he, they hear the exact they hear the exact same words from the master in his in his response. Then, when the third when the third servant comes forward, it, it this really seems to be, as we say, out of left field. I mean. I knew you to be a hard man. This this seems as though he the hearers I think had to be puzzled puzzled when they when they heard Jesus say the, the disciples first and others who who heard the gospel of Matthew being read and proclaimed and as the church grew I knew you to be a hard man, but he was a but he was a generous man. How was it that this was his perspective that that you reap where you do not sow or plant, and, and you gather, you harvest where you, where you did not scatter the seed. Well, I was afraid, and I hid your talents in the ground. I buried it in the earth. And the last phrase is really pointed when he says, here you have what is yours. He, has, he never heard, he never understood that he was entrusted. He was given property and entrusted to care for it. He only saw it as, as, as the masters and, and he gave it to, he gave it back to him. He gave it back to him, but he never understood the graciousness of allowing him to be a part of this, this kingdom story and this kingdom life and, and the good news that, that the church is proclaimed. I, I do, I do wonder in, as the disciples taught this parable later on, which I think they would have done so as, as they, after Pentecost, uh, they, they taught the church and they continued in the apostles teaching Acts 2 verse 42, that they must have, they must have said, look at this, listen to this parable. You've, you've not heard this before. It's not been written down yet. Matthew's not written yet. They told the story and, and they told the story in a way that emphasized I have to believe that emphasize especially the good news of it. You too are entrusted with treasures, with treasures of the kingdom. This is what the church, the, the new church, the Pentecost church, uh, the gathered and scattered church is, is given. And it is still so today that, that we are given this privilege, both this privilege and this responsibility to, to take these treasures and, and to share them within the church and from the church with our world, with our, with our world that is so focused right now on uh, all that has changed because of the coronavirus outbreak, uh, and yet, and yet uh, we can say to them, uh, there, is, there is a lasting treasure, and there is a gift, and there is a life that, that is in Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. Yeah, the the graciousness of this of this master is is what we really need to focus on, and I I, I think you're right to draw our attention to this interaction between the third servant and the master. When you look at at the text, and it, it's kind of hard to see, at least as I'm looking at my English text right now, because it's just one big paragraph. But when you divide it up into into scenes and conversations, you you really can tell that that this is where the bulk of the parable lies is in this final mm-hmm. conversation yeah. between the master and the third servant. And, and so Jesus is drawing our attention to, and you're, you're right that that what the third servant says to the master just does strike us as coming out of left field. Hold, hold on a sec. What do you mean he's a hard man? Where did where did you get that from? And and the again to to connect to what we were saying before the break that that knowing the master, being known by the master, and knowing the master I, to me that's that's where I, I see the key to understanding this parable to to be known by the master and to rightly know him in return is is how how this really plays out so the the servant has said this about the master said look here's here's what's yours i i never never understood your graciousness now the the master's response in return is, is maybe we need to to think through it a little bit does he 
you know, he calls him a wicked and slothful servant. Then he says, you knew that I, I reap where I have not sown. And there's a question mark after is, is the master agreeing with the servant's perception of him or is what, what's the master doing in his response? Oh, that's, that's, this is one of those that we, we just have to puzzle over, I think, because, because that, that, that question mark that appears almost surprises us. You knew, you knew what? You, you knew that you really think you knew who I am? Or what did you just say about me? Uh, it, it, I'm going to suggest, I'm going to suggest this, that, that the real crux of, of the third of dealing with this third servant and the contrast is that he is unfaithful to his master because he's unfaithful to his identity. And and so he treats his master's property as something simply to be handed back to him. It's that, it's that unfaithfulness to, to being a servant, a slave to being one who is, given a place within the the kingdom the kingdom of god the disciples the disciples needed to hear this and and i wonder how often how much they pondered it in the days ahead when when they said have we been an, have we been like that third servant when we fled the cross when we locked ourselves in an upper room and and were afraid that the the authorities were after us next and they weren't going to give the password when they came to the door. They were going to knock the door down and, and come after us as well. How, how the third servant, again, has, has been unfaithful, not just to his master, but to the identity that the master gave him. You, you, are, you are my servants, Jesus will say, but a little bit later on in a few days, uh, I, I also call you my friends. Yes, you are my servants, but but you are but you are my friends. That, that word servant slave, as as you've you've said, is is a, an important word. And and to go back to those first two, as, as you were talking, you know, it, it's not about the amount that that one had five and and earned five more, one had two and, and earned two more. The the master commends them for. He says, "Well done, good and faithful." Are are the words that he uses? It's not about the amount. In in contrast with the third, it's wicked, and and slothful. And I'm I'm not sure if this is the right place to to go. But as you were talking, at least about the first two, the the good and faithful servants. My my mind was going back to to Matthew chapter twenty, right before Holy Week, where the disciples are concerned about who's the greatest. And and here mm-hmm. in these first two, the greatness of the servants is not found in who's on top, who, who earned more money, but, but the greatness of the servants is, is equal because they were good and they were faithful. They trusted who the master was. Whereas the third was, was wicked and and slothful. He didn't trust who the master was. And so he didn't, didn't take the identity the master had given him to heart. I I don't, I mean, that's at least that's where my mind went with the, the words slave servant is, did you have that and the one thing in who, mind? The, or? Sure, the one who is great will be the servant. And and Jesus' words earlier in the gospel that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's absolutely one of my one of my favorite verses in, in all of in all of the gospels. This the servant, to be to be a servant, to be called and entrusted as a servant with with great treasure, it, it's not a it's not a demeaning it's not a demeaning thing at all. Uh, our culture doesn't know servants except maybe from watching Downton Abbey and, and, and those who those who who are in service and and we we think it's we think it's something to be avoided at all costs. But but what a privilege! And that again is the is the third one who is who is unfaithful to his identity that the master has has given him the privilege of being his servant. So having made our way pretty well through the, the parable here, let's, let's make sure we're, we're understanding what Jesus is getting, because we're not only talking about, or we're not primarily talking about business practices and a master and servants, we're talking about the kingdom of God. So help us to do some identifications here in the parable. The, the master, this is, this is Christ. The, the servants, 
who who are the servants? Is Jesus primarily speaking of disciples slash pastors later, or is he is this all Christians that we're looking at here? I think that there could be some broad some broad ways of understanding this, but but in in the context when the disciples are hearing this, and so much of as you have just mentioned from chapter twenty and from other places, who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? I'll look ahead just a little bit when Jesus will will stoop and take the towel and the basin and and the the pitcher of water in the upper room and become a servant to his own disciples when he washes their feet in the coming in the coming days or hours when he will when he will do so uh, to be to be a follower of Christ to be is to be a servant and and the disciples the first ones called come follow me and the and the ones that will be the ones that will be sent out, the ones that will will take this good news from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the to the ends of the earth. For us to say, where am I? Where am I in this parable? I, I never want to I never want people to jump there too quickly and say, well, what does this parable say about me? I, I want people I want people to say, what is this how does this speak to the church? How does this speak to God's God's gracious work in, in establishing and and uh, calling us into his kingdom. So then, then I can say, though, by way of application, well, now how, what does it mean to me to live as a servant? What is my vocation? What are my, what, what are my vocations? What are my roles within the church, within my, within my family? How do I receive those as valued possessions from the master? And how do I, how do I use them? Not to seek commendation, but but to be faithful, to be faithful to our identity, to know who we are and and whose we are. That that our Master has redeemed us and rescued us, and that as His servants, as His slaves, He He calls us to this this unselfish service in our relationships, in our vocations, and and our gifts are different, but they are all entrusted to us. From the one who is our our great our master who knows us and our master who who gives us the privilege of of sharing his his gifts in our lives and in our world. So and and that that's happening then right now in this time between the master's leaving and then his return, which would I, I would I would normally think of that as that's the time between Jesus' ascension. And then his, and then the last day is that that's the period in which we're living, the period in which we put the the master's gifts to use because they are his and we are his his servants. Is that is that a, I mean again just to try to draw uh, uh, yes, a few connections? Yes, very okay. very definitely. Certainly certainly in the first hearing of this and and the disciples' puzzlement about where are you going and and are you coming are you coming back? Will we will we see you again? And and that short. That short time from from crucifixion and burial to resurrection is that it? Is that it? Is that what we were waiting for? And yet, uh, I I must go to prepare a place for you, John fourteen. So yes, from our Lord's death, his resurrection, his ascension, and he is on he is on that journey. Uh, the church continues to pray, "Come, Lord Jesus, uh, return return from your journey." After a long time, um, it. It's a longer time than than the first believers very much expected it would be, and and the church today is still is still anticipating the master will return, the master who has called us to be his servants, the master who has given us opportunity and and privilege and, and joy, and from whom we can fully anticipate hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I don't know if you've used that in ministry as a funeral text i was i was asked a number of years ago uh, by by a children of of a saint who died and suggested this seems to be an appropriate text and and it was and to proclaim to proclaim the resurrection based on that uh, not just not just to commend somebody who had been such a faithful husband and father and and man in the church but but who who had uh, who was given the promise of resurrection life and and heard 
heard and will hear at the, at the very last, who will hear, well done, good and, and faithful servant. Right. So the, the, the conversations between the master and the servants, the, this is a picture of conversations that will be happening on the last day, then. Is that, I mean, that we want to make sure we keep that in focus. That's been the whole right. focus For of Jesus' discourse. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so what, I mean, what, what, what are these conversations on the last day? Are, are they ones that, that we need to be afraid of? What, what the master says to that last servant is rather terrifying to hear. What, well, what, what do we, we need to hear? The, that's why we read, first of all, it's why we read Scripture as a whole and not just little pieces by little pieces, right? We, we, want, to see, we want to see how, how our Lord expresses himself and how his word describes him. We, we'll keep reading uh, tomorrow you'll be opening the same chapter again and you'll be looking you'll be looking to the end of the chapter and seeing how how the son of man speaks to those on his right and and on his left but you had a professor at the seminary that I did not have i only get to read his books but but you had the reverend dr jeffrey gibbs as one of your professors and and in his his commentary on matthew he i'm just going to read a, a paragraph that he, that he's written in here he says, I imagine a conversation like this on the last day. One slave, he likes to use the word slave instead of servant. One slave approaches the master and says, Lord, you entrusted these things to me and I have gained this much, but there was so much more that I could have done. The master replies, yes, I am well aware that there was more that you could have done. Well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your master. A second slave approaches the master and says, Lord, you entrusted this to me, and I have gained an additional amount, but I was timid too often. I failed to take advantage of all the opportunities presented to me. The master replies, yes, I recall every detail of all the times when you were a coward. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. What what uh, what what grace can be conveyed in that in in imagining uh, what I think imagine godly imagination of of what our Lord uh, will say to his servants will say to those who who listen to us have this conversation to those perhaps who who say the same thing I, I could have done more I w- I was too timid and and yet our Lord says well done you knew. You knew your identity. You knew you knew who you were. You knew who your master was, and um, so we hear, so we hear, gospel in these words, gospel in this parable, gospel for you and gospel for me. Listening as the twelve first did, uh, this this one, their Lord is soon to go on a journey, and it's going to take him to places that that they can't imagine, even though he's told them on several occasions, but it will take him to his betrayal and to his arrest, to, to his mockery and, and his false trials, uh, to pain, to abandonment, to death and to burial, to the silence and darkness of the tomb, and yet to that grave opened and emptied, and to his appearance to them and to many others to his ascension at the Father's right hand. Our master will go away. He must go away on that journey. It is for our, our redemption, for our salvation, for our, for our life unending, to be continued in, his, in the master's very presence for good and faithful servants. I, I do appreciate that quote you read from Dr. Gibbs's commentary concerning those those conversations where because it is especially in this life we we know our failings we know our, our sins and and how we have not used the master's gifts and and even I I've, I've heard a, a pastor I, this was on my vicarage I think one of the the brother pastors in the circuit where where he was talking about this parable and he imagined a, a, a fourth servant who who had been given a talent and and his conversation at the end with the master was Lord, at least the way that I look at it, it looks like I've lost your, I put it to use and, and it looks like I didn't do anything with it. I put it to use, but I, I seem to have met no success. And 
and and this pastor imagined that that conversation still received well done good and faithful servant because even though to his the servant's eyes it looked like he had not succeeded in fact he had trusted in his master's his his master's declaration concerning him that you are my servant here I have entrusted to you and and I, that was just such a a striking image to me too again to go back to what we're talking about like what is success and those types of things it's not the success that's committed it's it's good and and faithful and and i i found that to be a comfort too as we think of our failures our sins in this life that that still we put our trust in in what the master has done who who he is for us and who he has made us pastor bars we've got about two minutes here left on the morning to to summarize to to give us the the good news of this parable well once more the, this whole chapter this whole chapter is about uh, the people of god who who are watching who are who are uh, anticipating that all the promises that our savior has made are coming true will come true will be proven to be true uh, as as bridesmaids wait for for the wedding procession to lead them into the into the marriage hall uh, so we wait with with our lamps lit lit in faith uh, anticipating the the joy of of being part of the marriage feast of the Lamb and His kingdom, as servants entrusted with with great gifts, and and not that, that we use them to prove how how good we are, but rather that our Lord is good to us, and and in His grace uh, uses uses us with all of our weaknesses as His kingdom servants, and then and then to see uh, the final the final joy. Of, of a shepherd who, who she- separates sheep from goats and, and, says, and says to us, and says to us, you are at my, you are at my right hand. And what privileges we are given uh, for the church until Christ returns uh, to be those who receive his gifts, who confess our faith, who, share, who show mercy to those near us and to those farther away from us, again in this time of the coronavirus pandemic, uh, opportunities to show to show mercy to those who may not know of of a Savior who loves them and who died and who rose for them. Until 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 we are we here, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy, the joy of your Master. Pastor Mark Bars serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Pastor Bars, thank you for your time today. You're very welcome, my friend. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.